And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drums? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Welcome back, ghouls and witches. We are at another episode of Rebel Girls Book Club, and I'm very excited because we're finally in October. I'm your host, Harmony, and today we're talking about the book Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Cemetery Boys is the story of a trans teen boy who is a part of a, what he terms, Bruhex community, a community of Latinx witches. However, the Latinx witches have very gendered roles in this community. So Latinos end up being called to help spirits and guide them to their spirit world, while the women use animal blood to heal. Because Yadriel doesn't fall neatly into the cis norm, he is not fully embraced in his community for his witchy powers, and he's not really allowed to practice witchcraft unless it matches his sex assigned at birth. So in this story, Yadriel ends up meeting a very cute ghost boy, And Yadriel is gay, by the way. And they fall in love. And this story is all about Yadriel trying to prove to his family and community that he is a brujo. This was my second read of the book. And this time around, what really stood out to me was all of the love contained in this book. There is love between Yadriel and his cousin, Maritza, love between Yadriel and Julian, love between Yadriel and his deceased mother, love between Yadriel and his father, and just the general love that comes from the community. There's also a lot to do with found family. Julian, in particular, has a lot of love to give for his friends. This book showcases both the transformative power of community and love and the otherness and isolation we can feel when our community doesn't accept us or we feel unloved. Before we get further into these themes, however, let's shift focus and move on to our first segment, Academia, where I do my best to clumsily summarize and make clear the underlying themes of a particular text based on outside scholarship and resources. Originally during this episode, I really wanted to talk about Bruja, Brujo, or Brujex culture in Latin America. 
However, I remembered reading this book and then trying to share a description of the book with a coworker and friend of mine who actually immigrated from the Dominican Republic. I was met with blank stares using the word brujex, as she calmly told me, that just means witch. As a white, non-Hispanic woman, it was important for me to remember that the word brujex or bruja contains different cultural connotations. And some of the practices that would have been labeled as being bruja practices are alive and well today outside of a sort of pop reclamation of them. They may have been passed down from generations. So I don't want to get too, too in to the way that witchcraft is depicted in this book because I'm not sure if it's totally accurate. And there are a diverse array of cultures using practices that might be termed witchcraft in both a negative and positive way in Latin America. While researching this text, I came across a Teen Vogue article called Brujeria Explained by Actual Witches by Amber C. Snyder. In the article, it says, Simply put, Bruja means witch in Spanish. Snyder links the term bruja to spiritual practices that relate to Yoruba, Macumba, Voodoo, and more. Often, these spiritual practices have roots in African cultures and practices. There's also some blending with Catholicism. Today, the word bruja is apparent from Netflix shows like Always a Witch, or Siempre Bruja, or the Princess Nokia song, Brujas. However, as Snyder writes, not everybody wants to be termed Bruja, Brujo, or Brujex. Sometimes these terms still hold negative connotations. It was important for me to unpack this term with you guys, because the word witch throughout various cultural contexts often signifies an othering. In this book, it's important because the witch community is an insider community, yet our main character is still othered, especially from his witchcraft. Thomas is not the first person to reclaim the term bruja, as Irene Laura writes in a 2005 article. La bruja symbolizes power outside of patriarchy's control that potentially challenges a sexist status quo. While researching, I came across several dissertations that use bruja to reclaim woman's sexuality or to talk about the way that magic and spirituality can lead to activism by reclaiming ties to ancestors. I'll write the citations for those dissertations in the show notes. But what this pointed out to me was the transformative power of a word like witch, especially for marginalized groups and communities. These essays and dissertations were all written by women, though, and about women. So what Thomas is doing, by centering a boy and a trans boy at that, 
is flipping this script a little. He's challenging the attitude of feminism and feminism being for women, and in particular, cis women. Instead, he's taking it back to its roots and looking at the ways that patriarchy and heteronormativity affect gender and gender expression and end up harming everyone. Let's go ahead and talk about community. One of the big things that struck me about this book was the loving community, as I've alluded to previously. I wondered whether Latino culture valued community and family. In my research for this episode, I found an article by Fernando A. Ortiz called Self-Actualization in the Latino-Hispanic Culture. This article was written for psychology and specifically to help therapists relate to and serve their Latino patients. The article talks about how highly people in Latino culture value their families and communities. Ortiz argues that Latinx youth end up feeling more personally satisfied in their lives and joyful when they share secure relationships with their friends and family. Throughout the article, Ortiz states that Latino culture is largely collectivist, meaning whole needs, needs of the community, are placed before needs of the individual. In Cemetery Boys, we see this sort of collectivist identity come out with the duty that the community of brujos and brujas hold. We see it with the roles Bruhex play in their larger community as healers and guides. When Yadriel's cousin Miguel goes missing, the entire Bruhex community comes together. There is no stone left unturned. To me, this is a symbol of collectivism. Even the Bruhex's reverence for their own lost loved ones, the dead, and their insistence of welcoming them back each year shows a sort of collectivist identity. The final ceremony for celebrating their loved ones and ancestors involves Yadriel's grandmother, Lida. On page 533, it reads, When Lida spoke, she said the words in Spanish, her Cuban accent ringing, May we live in faith. We are on the true path of our spirit. May we never fear death, but remember we live on in the love we nurture in our time on earth. May we preserve life and guide life to death as Our Lady wills it. May we heal and support one another in this life and the next. Ortiz also asserts that Latinx culture values familialism or which he terms familiismo. Familiismo is the act of prioritizing family and advocating for what Wikipedia calls a welfare system, wherein it is presumed that families will take responsibility to care for their members rather than leaving the responsibility up to outside forces like the government. In Yadriel's house alone, we see the three generations come together. There's Yadriel and his brothers, Yadriel's father, and Yadriel's grandmother, all living under one roof. 
Ortiz also asserts that Latinx culture in particular values personalismo, which involves interpersonal relationships based on trust. Self-actualization for Latinx people, Ortiz argues, involves, quote, meaningful and non-confrontational social relationships. Ortiz also mentions that the idea of having a shared history or sharing personal stories and events helps promote personalismo. This sort of connectedness signals familial relationships because all families already have built in some sort of interpersonal connection through their shared history. Lastly, Ortiz asserts that Latinx culture values sympatia, which essentially means friendliness. There's no better way to build community than by extending grace and kindness to those within it. Yajio literally uses his love for his community to self-actualize by bringing lost spirits back into the fourfold after Tio Catriz steals away the spirit's powers. On page 431, it reads, Bitch. He thought of Miguel, his gentle cousin, who was a great man and a doting son. He thought of Julian's wild energy, his undying loyalty to his loved ones, and his determination to do anything to take care of them. He thought of his mom and her kindness and how all she wanted was to heal and help others. He knew exactly what his mom would do if she were here. The same thing he was going to do. Yadriel would let himself die, gladly, if it meant saving the four who had been so viciously and carelessly sacrificed. Yadriel doesn't end up dying, spoiler alert, but this idea of self-sacrifice feels very collectivist to me. It's also important that Yadriel is using his loved ones and their spirits and his memories of them to right wrongs. And it reminds me of a lot of contemporary conversation about convening with ancestors that happens in modern witchcraft today. Yadriel gets actualized in an individual manner later on in the story. And again, it's his love that has brought his community around. On page 494, it reads, Yadriel, you have shown great courage and strength, the likes of which no Bruhex has possessed in thousands of years, his dad continued. You sacrificed yourself to save your friends, your family, and, most telling, the lives of two strangers. To do that took more than just courage and strength. Our Lady saw the greatness in you that even I couldn't. You will be a great brujo and a great man, and we honor the sacrifice you made, Enrique said in earnest. Oh, it's just so beautiful. In Cemetery Boys, we see the effects of Yadriel trying to become self-actualized within his community, but still feeling like an outsider. On page 41 of my version of this book, it says, But belonging meant denying who he was. Living as something he wasn't had nearly torn him apart from the inside out, but he also loved his family and his community. 
It was bad enough being an outsider. What would happen if they just couldn't or wouldn't accept him for who he was? This quote perfectly encapsulates the sort of outsider-insider status that Yadriel is dealing with. Yadriel wants to be a part of his community. He needs that family and that love and support to reach his actual self-actualization. But his identity and self can't be actualized because his community refuses to accept him for who he is. This led me to question what community even was and how it can be more inclusive so that outsiders aren't necessary to its definition. The text Community How-To by Sage Liskey essentially defines community as, as a group of people with shared culture. However, Sage asserts that a membership or a community, quote, rejects those who don't understand or refuse participation in it, end quote. In this text, Liskey attempts to define practices for building community and uses their previous community, the Lorax Manor Student Cooperative, as a case study for how communities operate. Reading Liskey's account, I had a lot of issues. When Liskey described the way they envisioned an ideal community, it felt very forced like forced participation. Everyone needed to do their fair share in terms of making their shared space something nice for everyone, which is a collectivist value and makes sense. But there was also a lot of focus on individual communication and the unwillingness of some people to participate in community. To me, it read very much like there was an expectation that everyone should be putting in an equal amount of effort and doing an equal amount of labor for the community. But in reality, not everyone has the same capacities. Not everyone can contribute the same amount of labor, especially not at any given time. One of the big portions of this text that stood out to me was the concept of bad apples, which Liskey describes as people who bring down everyone's mood and productivity. These people are negative, and Liskey states that they need to be rid of because they threaten the community. In the context of Cemetery Boys, through this lens of the bad apples, Yadriel himself might be defined as a bad apple at times. His family thinks that he's being dramatic and self-centered when he insists on going to look for Miguel like the rest of the brujos. He doesn't always put up a good front. He's tired when people misgender him or his family refuses to give him the same sort of respect they give other brujos. Yachiel's community doesn't throw him out, though. Even though, they're, even though they have conflicts, and throughout most of the book, the community does not understand Yadriel, they refuse to stop loving him, and eventually they're able to talk through their problems and come to a more equitable understanding. This book does feature one bad apple, however, in the form of Yadriel's uncle, Catrice. Another important part about 
Catrice's storyline, though, is that the Bruhex community doesn't turn their back on him either. Catrice doesn't receive the same sort of respect in the community, and chooses to cause harm to other people as a result. He is still loved, however, and Yadriel in particular respects him. He's still invited to all community meetings, and while he's an outsider, and sometimes treated unfairly, he isn't ostracized. Even despite the harm that Catrice has caused, Yadriel still doesn't want to cause him harm in return. Before Catrice meets his untimely end, Yadriel shouts, Dio, and attempts to save him. The book Cemetery Boys takes the bad apples concept and rejects it. Even though there is somebody causing harm within the Bruhex community, the book doesn't tell you to let that person go. That person meets their own harm and their own end, and boundaries are eventually instilled by Yadriel's response and attempts to save Julian. Despite Catrice's many wrongs, the love still remains the love of his family, the love from his community. Let's move on from academia and talk a little bit about the text. Yadriel isn't the only person with a strong community tie, though. Now, I want to tell you all a little bit about my own feelings about community and one of the reasons this story resonated so much with me and why it was important for me to read in an, our next segment called The Personal is Political. So... If you've listened to the podcast before, you might have picked up on the fact that I personally feel nervous about the concept of community. I moved around a lot growing up, and I've lived my life in a lot of isolation. And to be honest, because I've witnessed so many bad people in the world, that isolation gives me a sense of safety. It means that I'm not going to let bad people into my life. Following COVID, it's become increasingly apparent to me how necessary community is. But attempts to be a part of a community before or attempts from others to have invite me into a community in terms of living situations or groups or clubs haven't always gone so well in the past. I like being a free agent. I like not having to adhere to petty politics, which is something that I found really apparent not in the book Cemetery Boys, but in the text Community How-To by Sage Liskey that I read in preparation for this episode. What Cemetery Boys did was offer me a playbook of radical empathy and radical love. Not everyone who is a part of our family needs to be blood-related. And we don't have to be best friends, necessarily, with everyone in our community. But a part of being a part of a loving community is putting 
your community, your space, and your love for other people above just about everything else. And that doesn't mean forgoing boundaries or forgetting your personal identity. Another thing that's useful and necessary when you're in a healthy, loving community is recognizing that different people have different strengths and different things to bring to the table. Your contribution to a community is not going to look the same as everyone else's. And I think that's all for my reflections for today. But that's what I'm taking away from this text. Let's move on now to our last and final segment called Which Bitch? In which I talk about something from this text that is magical or inspires something magical. Today I want to talk about actions we can take to build community in our lives. I think it's important that we question who is already a part of our community and why. Do we consider our neighbors to be a part of our community? Our friends and family? Our coworkers? Let's challenge ourselves to extend our definitions of community so that we can support more people and help more people feel welcome. Another thing that we can do to extend community is to start talking to strangers more. I'm going to link in the show notes a couple of TikToks that I've been finding really useful lately. If you're anything like me, an introverted, antisocial human, you probably hate the idea of talking to strangers. But doing this, extending some sort of friendliness, extending grace to other people, helps us broaden our scope and helps us care about one another more. Broadening our community does not mean that we have to be best friends for everyone. It doesn't mean that we have to play 12 a.m. therapist like we might for some of our actual best friends or family members. But it does mean that we're going to stick our neck out when we have the capacity to. We're going to try and be kind to one, one another, and we're going to try and protect one another. So this week, practice saying hi. Practice talking to your local grocer. Make some baked goods for your neighbors. When you do that, what you're doing is extending the love that you have to give. And you're letting people know that you care, even if you don't know them intimately. That's it for today, folks. Next week, we're going to have another Maggie time. And then we have the Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. Thank you for joining me once again. Bye! Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash rgbc and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at rgbcpod on Instagram at rebelgirlsbookclub.com 
on Facebook at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.